Okay, Chavre, so like this, I'm very happy that we are gathered today. I know that for many people, this is the um, graduation period, including today. I know there are many graduations that are happening, but I was not here last week. And uh, for good reasons, I don't know if I'll be here next week for Simchas, even though I think I will be here Tuesday. I'll be here Tuesday. But there's a series of Simchas in the pipeline. So I'm happy for every time we can get together. Are they secret? They're still, yeah, they're still in confidence because it's not the finalized in the Chabad world. Until you go to the oil, nothing happened yet. Okay. Now, we are in the middle of a halachic series and we try to share some very deep Hasidic insight that really sheds light on various halachas. We started last time we were together two weeks ago to, we, we shifted away from the location of prayer and we actually began speaking about the davening itself. And let me just recap last time we were together and some halachic base for today's class. And that is, is that there are four activities that are forbidden to be done prior to davening in the morning. Okay? We're not allowed to say hello. What? And the nuance of that, the nuance of that would be that the word shalom, which is the way Jews should greet each other. Shalom Even just the word shalom. Shalom is a blessing. Shalom is God's name. One of Hashem's holy names is shalom. And when you confer the, the, the statement shalom on a person, you're, this is the highest level of blessing. Highest level of blessing. And... Going out of your way, that's the key, going out of your way for the sole purpose of greeting someone prior to you greeting God is an affront to God. And it should certainly not be done if you're going to use the word shalom. Now, every word is meduyak. Going out of your way does not include saying Shalom to your family members. Number two, the issue is with the word shalom, which is the way Jews should greet each other. I'm happy you're hearing it. Saying good morning in Aramaic, that's called tzafra di mari tav. Or in English, hello, or the hello, how are you? Which is probably the most disingenuous statement ever to be spoken by humanity. <laughs> how are you? Oh no, they don't even hear what they're asking, correct? So that's something that's certainly much, much less problematic. I'm saying much, much less problematic is because people of a much higher spiritual level of behavior would restrict themselves somewhat in everything. But these are people that they wake up in the morning, no one is up anyway, they wake up four in the morning and they learn for a few hours and they daven sadikim. But the letter of the law is... To go out of my way only to greet someone is problematic if I'm using the word shalom. Which would also include if you are already in shul, if you have a fixed place and you're walking over to your fellow congregant, which is the right thing to do, don't say shalom prior to prayer. Saying good morning is completely permissible. Or if you're going out of your way in the morning and you're going to stop by someone's house out of your way to say shalom, that's what we don't do. Okay, if you're not saying the word shalom, it's less problematic. If you're not going out of, out of your way, it's double less problematic. 
But all of that is one of the categories of activities halachically that we have to refrain from before morning prayer. Number two is taking care of personal matters. Taking care of personal matters prior to prayer. Personal matters does not include family matters. Personal matters does not include mitzvah matters. Personal matters means personal matters. The best application today, which is something that people should be aware of, is that, I know it's not healthy, but most people will be opening up the so-called smartphone relatively early in the morning. <laughs> and you're going to go through your emails and stuff like that. That is halachically not uh, that great. If a person, let's speak about women that are running a home, or a man who's running a home, a person who's running a home and is under a lot of time constraint, which is what happens when the kids are young, people that are graduated from that phase tend to forget quickly, so it's important halakhically not to forget. That means when you have a family of young kids and they demand, as they should, a lot of time and energy of a parent, and the parents' only downtime is from 6 to 7 a.m. before they wake up. I'm saying these are all halachic um, leniencies that perhaps you, you have what to stand on. This is my only time and I need it. I'm not saying that it's lachatchila, okay. I just don't want to make it sound like we're choking everyone to death. But it's good to understand these ideas. No shalom before davening. No attending to personal matters before davening. No eating and drinking before davening. I want to focus on that today. And no learning before davening. Wow. No learning before davening. Now, the, the last one, I'll spend just a drop of time on. Again, these are halachic concepts. And that is that learning and davening are two very different types of activities. Very different. Very different. If they're not different for you or for me, then we really have to we have to shift a lot. Yeah, they're both Yiddishkeit. But it's like saying, and all religious Jews look the same. That's an insult. No, they don't. All mitzvahs are not the same. It's an insult to God. And hopefully, we'll get there one day. Davening is really a moment in which we're trying to, to elevate ourselves a bit. And we do that by talking to God. Just that elevates a person because God is not tangible. And if you're living in the world of tangible, who are you talking to? Just that, just the concept that there, is, there are things that are more real than this table, which is Hashem. And, and I'm reaching out to God. That's, that's prayer. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful exercise of connecting to God by elevating yourself, by going away from the physical, going away from the tangible. And learning is mamish the opposite. Learning is that I have a mission in this world, which is very much connected to being in the world, and I need guidance. I need guidance of how to be here, not how to be there. So I know that I'm learning the guidance, so it's, I'm being enlightened. I'm learning God's Torah. It can feel I'm connecting to God, but it's, it's a whole different thing. It's like, you know, the Mug and David, you know, you're going up or you're going down. It's two opposite directions. Davening is an upward movement, and learning Torah is a downward movement. It's like prior to you going into your job place, you're, you're getting into the zone. And especially if you're going into a challenging setting, 
You have to get there, right? You have like I have to be ready. Learning has that content. Learning is, is that I have to be better prepared in dealing with this world. This world is very confusing. I don't know if the right from the wrong. Let me let me let me tap into God. God is going to give me instruction. And again, even if we're learning the most sublime Hasidic ideas, and it's taka very uplifting, you have to remember that learning is really an exercise in which I'm, I'm hopefully going to get enlightenment from God through the Torah of how to be here, mamish, and especially in halacha, because when you have two opinions prior to halacha, they're both mamish true in different worlds. Halachically, they're not both true. Halachically, it's either or. You get that? So davening is a, is a, is a, I'm going away a bit from the mundane, even though I'm going to be asking God also for physical things, but that's secondary to prayer. The movement of prayer is, I'm removing myself from the tangible, and the whole purpose of learning is to hear God's guidance of how to be in the tangible. Yes? So would you say that uh, prayer is connecting to God through the heart and learning Torah is connecting to God through the mind? That's a, that's a very good, correct statement. I would just change one thing because connecting with God is making them too similar. And, and I would like to maybe word it that prayer is my effort to connect to God. I am connecting here. And Torah is God's effort to connect to me. Torah is God's, God made an effort. How did God give the Torah? He came down on Mount Sinai. He came down. That happens right now. Torah is God looking at me and looking at you and looking at the world we live in and understanding how much in the dark we are, how confused it can be. And God is telling us what, he's giving us instruction. Parenthetically, it's a different topic, the biggest kasha on that, even though this is true, is that why didn't God give us guidance how to be parent? It's a big, this question is a bomb question. God told me he had to engage with working six days and resting on the seventh day. God even told me how to interact with my parents. It's one of the ten kids. God did not instruct us how to be with our kids. Can't leave the question open. That's a good question. That has to be properly addressed with the right answer, not with the wrong answer. Better not to have an answer than to have the wrong answer. Yeah. But if we connect to ourselves and we connect to God, we'll know how to connect to our kids. Oh, I fully agree with you. I'm just saying the fact. In other words, I'm, I'm just I'm just framing the Torah. Ultimately, the core is God has Rahmanas on me, like like He made me. He put me here. You think about it. What what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So instead of just saying, oh my God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. No, I have a muna that God gave me a living Torah. God gave me the Torah. And Noch Wilobavich, we learned chitas. Like we were told, no, the Yeshir Chumash today is Mamish telling me for my life what I need to do. It's, it's about getting enlightened. I get enlightened. While you're learning, we're removed. A person can get into learning and they can learn for many hours and forget about the whole world. But it's about God telling me how to be. Prayer is almost me telling God how to be. Telling God, do this for me, do that for me. It's like a whole, it's a whole different thing. I'm going up and God is coming down. Okay, so coming back over here. So learning before davening, learning before davening, think about it. I'm not talking about technically. Technically, I learned before I daven. 
every day, and I would say most religious Jews today, they get up early and they have a shear and they go daven. I'll, I'll get to that halachically, how that's permissible. But the concept of why don't we learn before we daven makes sense. Because listen, if I'm going to elude myself that oh, I'm so buddy-buddy with God, I'm this big tzaddik and God is so close to me, which yes and no, there is a no here. Then I can right away hear God's word. If I'm going to go with the premise that some of me is very close to God, Emes, some of me, some of me is not that close to God. So if I want to better understand what God wants from me, I have to first make my effort of getting close to Him. It's like if you're talking to me and I'm 20 blocks away, why will I hear you? Why will I hear you? Let me have the, the decency of giving COVID to the elder, which is God here. Let me go to God. And if I make my effort of going close to God, then I'll, I'll listen. I'll hear what God is telling me. I know that God is everywhere, but not, not in my day-to-day. I don't behave the whole day that God is here. If not, I would be a tzaddik, and I'm not a tzaddik. So it makes sense. First, daven. First, make your effort of getting close to God. Then I learn a lot of trade. I have no idea what God wants. Because I'm not davening. Not because I'm not smart. I understand the trade. I'm not seeing how the trade is talking to me today because I'm far away from God. So davening has to come before learning. Now, technically, everything has to be valid halachically. If for me to have more kavana when I daven, for me to have kavana, I'm going to roll out of bed and daven shmona esrei. No, I'm not going to have anything to do with God. I need to learn for an hour or for 10. That's good. But that's, that's and then I'm learning just to get, I don't know, to get out of the coarseness of this world to be able to have some sort of gishmak and davening. That's okay. That's why people learn before davening. But in, in concept, davening, you make your effort, you go close to God, and then you'll hear what God is saying. And that's a good lesson in life. That if I think that I'm not understanding what you're saying, which is what happens very often, some of it is on me. Why am I not understanding? Not because you're not communicating well. Because I'm so far away from you that I can't hear. Okay. The, the third of the four that I mentioned is eating before davening, and I want to spend more time today focusing on that. So first of all, the, the, the dry halacha. The dry halacha. And I want to read a little piece of Gemara over here, which is beautiful. This Gemara is in Mesech the Brachas, on Dafiyud. I have to just find it over here. Here we go. Amar Rabbi Yechelam, in the name of Rabbi Yoisi Bar Hanino, in the name of Rabbi Eliezer Ben Yaakov, it says in the portion of Kedoshim, al hadam, do not eat upon the blood. I don't know how the Goyim interpret it. Not that I care, but you know, one of these verses that without God explaining what he meant, don't eat upon the blood. That's what I thought you said, blood? Yeah. You know, understand the, the holy tongue? al hadam. God actually said that. And what do you think God means? Don't eat on the blood. Like Mamasha, that's the, that's the right... That's what the Kuzari told the king. He, he told the king that the, it was a king that believed in the written Torah. He believed that this was divinely inspired. He said everything else is just the humankind trying to understand. He says, how can you say that? If that was divine inspired, who speaks this way? What type of God is this? What is he saying? It, it, it's nonsensical. And half of the Torah is that way. What is the word in Hebrew? Dam? Dam. It means don't eat on blood. What is he saying? Don't eat when you're standing on blood. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know. Okay, it doesn't say. So actually, this verse means many things. 
the one that this Gemara is interpreting, this is all not man-made, this is God's interpretation, Don't eat prior to us praying about our life. When we're davening, we're going to ask. I know that we just said davening is about connecting, but halachically, davening is filled with an ask. We're asking of God for our needs. But we can't just ask. We have to first praise. We have, there's a whole formula. But in the context of simple halachim, it's a moment where I ask God of my needs. My first need is to be alive. Not there's nothing else. If a person wants to live, and then you're asking for health, and then you're asking for wealth, etc. So that's called, you're praying for your blood, for your life. Don't eat, don't eat prior to you uh, praying to God about it. So the word dumb is really meaning life. That's what the Gemara says. Yes. Like a like a rock? No, no, dumb means blood. Mamish blood. So when you wake up in the morning, you're dumb because you're alive? I'm praying for my well-being. Dumb means my well-being. God says... That means, but I'm saying the Gemara is saying that means life, well-being. Don't eat prior to you praying for your well-being. And you mean the whole prayer, the whole chakra? So, like this, good, good. I'm happy you're asking that. Really, the Amida prayer, and in the times that the Talmud was written, that was the whole chakras. They also, they would say the blessings of Shema, which is a separate mitzvah, and the Shema, they would say it before they did chakras. They had no siddur. They would, they would begin with what we call the prayer that we say after Baruch They would read the Shema, and women don't have to do that. It's common, a woman would wake up, she would daven the Shema in the Esrei. Yeah, that was it. And then, and then this is for man and woman. And then, and only then can you eat. Now there's technically, how much can you eat? Can you eat anything? Uh, maybe you can drink water. That's it. Maybe you can drink water. Then things began to grow. The beard began to grow. Then became a health issue. People don't daven when they wake up six in the morning. People have diabetes. Maybe they had diabetes and they didn't know. You're going to wake up. What are you gonna, you're going to eat. You're going to wake up for three hours. You're not going to eat. You're not going to be well. So health-related, you're good. Then people began with coffee, and coffee makes many people sharp. I know that coffee must have something negative, but I'm not here. I think coffee is amazing. It's like God's gift to mankind. So, but you can love me for coffee. And then there was like, you have to read how the halachically, so you can have coffee, you can't have milk. And then finally, in the, I'm talking about our generation rabbis. This, this is going on for hundreds of years. They're debating how much can you squeeze into the water. I learned in a yeshiva for a year and a half, where, where the day began at seven, the day began with davening, there was not learning before davening, day, and all that you drank was water out of the tap. I was 13, you wake up in the morning, you get dressed, you get a cup of water, in Switzerland, the water hopefully was fresh, and that's it, that's it. Davening would take an hour, but if you wake up at 6.30, you can eat uh, breakfast at eight. In our, in the Chabad world, we dafka learn a lot before davening. Saying in the yeshiva system, you wake up at 7, you learn until 8.30, you go to the mikveh, you come back. By the time breakfast is probably a quarter to 11. Wow. can't expect a person to wake up 6.30 in the morning. Basically fasting. You can't do that. It's not healthy. So once there's a health issue, 
that gives a lot of openings, even when there's a health issue, just to make it very clear. You have to say the morning blessings. You have to say the morning blessings. And let me add, really, if you're going to eat something more substantial than a coffee, if you're going to start eating food, better to say the Shema. Even though you're going to say the Shema again during davening, and at least to say the first portion of the Shema, Shema v'yohavta. Okay, atkan the halachic part. Okay, so there's an issue of not eating and drinking before davening, and the reason why de facto we can do it, which we do it, is we won't be healthy without it, like you can learn, because I'm not going to feel it. Let me tell you a little bit about one of the Chabad Rebetzins, and, 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 and a story about her that's printed in the Hayyim Yoyim, and, and I want to just share some beautiful concept about eating before davening, or not eating before davening. First of all, the, 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 the third Chabad Rebbe had a, his youngest son was, was named Shmuel, who got married 13, 14, like all of his other sons, and became a widower very early in his marriage. I forgot the details of that story. It was some tragic story. And he needed to get remarried. He got remarried. The second marriage, I think he was 16. He was very young. There was a family of two orphaned girls that were adopted by the second Chabad Rebbe. And they held the world of both of these girls. And one of the grandparents, that's the way Shaduchim were done then. And you know how great that is? You know, Bachal, you know how Shaduchim were done then? Shidduch was done, I'm speaking about for people here who have sons, is that either the mother or a sister would move into the house of the prospective kala for a week. Wow. That was the system. To check if she knows how to peel apples. No, you get everything. If you move into someone's house, you get it. You get if it's a shidduch or not. That's the so wise, when we cut that out, we crippled ourselves. Even the Rebbe Shidduch was that way. For the Rebbe to get engaged, the Rebbe's mother moved into the house of the previous Rebbe. She moved into the house, and the houses were not like these houses. There weren't 18 bedrooms, or three bedrooms, or five bedrooms. Three bedrooms. Yeah, I'm saying you move into someone's house, you get, you get the Ruach of the house very quick. Mm-hmm. That, was so, that was so wise. So anyway, so they, 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 they very much knew her. So the grandparent proposed the Shidduch, and a young woman by the name of Rivka, I forgot her background. It's a beautiful Bible. She was orphaned, mamish orphaned. She married the Rebbe Marash. That was the second marriage. Turned out that this Rebetzin Rivka was the longest living Rebetzin in the Chabad dynasty. And almost all of the story of the Chabad seven Rebbes that we have now came through her. Her son, she had various sons. Her second son became the next Rebbe, who was so ill, who was so physically ill, that for periods of years, he was burning up with fever. And the then medical opinion was, is that when, when they have a man or a woman that's on the verge of death, you keep their children away from them. I know that today everything would have been different. So the previous Rebbe, he writes that from when he was nine until 12, he had no father, no mother, because his father was deathly ill. His mother was the caretaker of his father, who raised him, Rebbe Tzernifka, his grandmother, his father's mother. 
Rebbe Tzernifka was born in year 1831. Rebbe Tzernifka was the Lubavitcher that began a minig of giving out lekach out of Yom Kippur. Many people, the older ones here, at least you saw pictures, that our Rebbe would give out Erev Yom Kippur, a piece of honey cake, to both men and women. And the people that didn't have the opportunity to receive it before Yom Kippur, he would give it out again on Hoshana Rabba. So every shul in Shulchan Aruch it says to receive something out of Yom Kippur, but for a Rebbe to give it out, that did not exist. In Lubavitch, Rebbe Sanifka began doing that. She initiated various things in the Chabad world. I can say like this, that when she, I'm going to come back to the end of the story, she got a blessing when she was 18 from her father-in-law that she should have a long life. She was born in 1831. She passed away in 1914. 1914. 14. She was in her 80s. In those times, going into the 80s, healthy was unheard of. She was healthy, healthy until the end. The last few weeks of her life, she got weak. Her, 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 her son, the Rebbe Rashab, was not well. You understand, they, they went to certain, I forgot what they were called, it's like health spots, in which they needed to be secluded away from everyone. Her son, the Friedrich Rebbe, the grandson of Rebbe Tzernifke, was with her in Lubavitch, and he would send telegrams, letting his father know how she's doing. She actually, she got better. She got better, so he sent a telegram that she's well, and Friday morning, she woke up very weak. She called in her grandson. She asked to daven, I need a sitter. He brought her a siddur. Look how beautiful. She davened. She gave him back the siddur and she asked that he should bring a cup of water. So he had a siddur. He right away got a cup of water. He gave it to her. She made a bracha on the water. She drank the water. She placed her hands on his head. She gave him a bracha. He says, he went to put the siddur. He went to put the siddur in the bookshelf. She was sitting. She turned around. She was no longer alive. Oh my God. This is her grandson. Mamash. Beautiful. Wow. She, she passed away. Shvat. The Friedrich Rebbe passed away Yud Shvat in 1950, but the Rebbe Tzernifke passed away on Yud Shvat. That's his grandmother. Yeah. And he, and he, and, and he, wrote, he wrote all of his, he wrote all of the stories of the Lubavitcher world, and he wrote it, he heard it from his grandmother. He was raised mainly, when he telegrammed his parents, they were somewhere in, in France, somewhere in some health place. Nebuch, the grandson, he, 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 he telegrammed, she already passed away, that she got much worse. Then he waited like an hour and, and he sent another telegram that, that she's at the end of her life. And then he sent a telegram that there's no pur- purpose to come back because she's no longer here. And he asked the Rebbe, his father, where should she be buried? Now, that's an interesting question. No one should know about these things. But having two women that are if the issue was, yeah, two wives, having two wives. So in other words, the Rebbe Marash was married twice. He was married very, I think it was like two years or less than two years. He had no children as a child, as a teenager. So he had a wife that was buried in the Beis HaChaim in Lubavitch. She was buried in the, in the cemetery in Lubavitch. Two wives are not supposed to be buried in the same cemetery. Can you imagine how antagonistic this is? Like, I love it. Like, what will happen? They'll get back to life. They'll, I don't know what they'll do to each other. These are all So the question is, where, where, should he, where should he bury the grandmother? Because the, the co-wife, now she lived, she outlived her husband. Her husband passed away, I think he was 47. That Amarash was very sick. That Amarash, we don't even have a picture of him. That's because he didn't look well. 
he didn't have long, he had lung issues and circulation issues and, and skin issues. He was mamash, a Jew that suffered the Gashmias like no other. Wow. Half of his flesh was exposed the whole time. It means he had a skin ailment. And the type of Yisurim, like, is not from this world. The type of suffering physically. Anyways, he passed away very young, so she outlived him. But when she passed away in 1914, it's amazing what happened. Listen to the story. So he wanted to know from his father where should he bury her. He can bury her in the, in the, in the same cemetery. Now, in Lubavitch, this is another whole topic, off topic. But it's on topic. It's good to know. I know that we're very young. It's good to talk about it. We'll live a long life. If you noticed, how are people buried in, a, in a, what we call in the house of the living? Is it men and women segregated, or is it together? It's different. So every cemetery has different minhagim. I want you to know that there are certain cemeteries in which you'll see there's men and women sections, the Charedeshe, the Labreya, the Sitra Akhra with the other side, and then from the Tukor Robertson, it's, uh, no, you see, but, but you, you can't marry a man and a woman, they're not married together. So like in Harazesim, I know this from, uh, Harazesim is a man and his wife, and then someone else's wife, with her husband, so... Oh, so the wife next to the wife. Yeah, if not, who knows what's going to happen, but like this, it's going, it's going, it's like, it's, you look at it, okay, that's what they're married to. In Lubavitch, separated. Separated. Women, so, men. So you're not going to have that issue. Well, no issues. So the, the, Rebbe, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab told his son, he wasn't Rebbe yet. The Rayats. The Rayats, before he was Rebbe, bury grandmother in the men's section. What? But yeah. why didn't he bury his mother also? Why didn't he bury his son? Because he wasn't there. He wasn't there. The Rebbe Rashab was, well. was really, I'm talking about, he would, they say that for years he was like touch and go. They didn't know if he's going to live another hour. So he was some way, but, he, but his mother passed away. So he needed to get a telegram. So the, Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, they didn't want to tell me your mother passed away. So he told her, she's there, you're worse. He sent three telegrams. And in the third telegram, he notified her there's no reason to come back because she's not here. But it was Friday. No, we have to bury... I know, right in, in Yisrael, right away. Where should she be buried? So he right away responded to bury her in the men's section. By, 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 um, by the father, by the Rav Marash. Ah, by her husband. By her husband. By her husband. This was, in that sense, no one did that. Wait, but the other oh, wife was also there? The other wife was buried there, but she was buried the in the ladies' section. Because right. the minute there, like La Brea, they separated oh, sections. Right. More from, the more religious oh. that way. That's interesting. Which Why? was it? Why do you think he did that? No, because I guess you couldn't bury her in the ladies' section because like, yeah, Picabola, you don't bury two co-wives in the same, uh, not co-wives, two wives in the same cemetery. So the only option oh. that people would think is to bury her in another cemetery. How can he do that? There's no Babish Jewish cemetery. What, are you going to go to another village to bury her? Interesting. He had a wife before her. I said he got a wife before her. Even though the wife, they were married many years before and for a very small amount of time. It's an amazing story. And in this, in Lobavitch, so you have the Reb Marash, men, 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 and, and this lady. And Rebbe Rabbi, it makes sense with what you said about her. No. That she was so much of Chabad. Mamish. She is an orphan and she took so much. She transferred all the stories. You have, no idea, you have no idea what she, she did. She got the honor. And I'll tell you more than that. When she passed away, Yud it was snowed out in Lubavitch. Even New York sometimes. And, 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 and Bachal, today you have tractors. Just to understand another technical thing. It's a big mitzvah to bury the dead. But it's very manually before machines it was very difficult. Frozen when you ground. frozen, you you people don't know what that means. So it was a Friday. By the time all of these telegrams came back and forth, it was late. It was late. You have to finish the burial before Shabbos, and everything is snowed over. 
The Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashad, her son, the Rayatz's father, was afraid that because of the pressure and because of the cold, they didn't bury her there. It's hard, and, and he knew that like it wasn't that much room, and he sent a telegram after Shabbos that if they did not fulfill his instructions, they should unbury her and bury her there, which is something that we normally never do. It was that important for him that she should be buried with the men by the Rebbe, by the Rebbe Marash. That's Rabbi Zinevka. Now let me go back. She deserved the rest. Yeah. Marash was her husband. husband. When she passed away, during that burial procession, the Friedrich Rebbe said out loud that the crown of our family fell off. She was the crown of the Lubavitcher, of all of the Chabad Rebbe. And she was the orphan. She was an orphan. So much and, and you can have, there are books written on her. I hopefully already in English. This was an extraordinary person. Now, I can tell you, I'll tell you just one story about her. Stam. The, Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab was not well. He was, he was physically not well. I mean, Mamish, the Rebbe Rashab was not well. And, and Hasidim also, this is, I know it's, the Rebbe Marash, the Marash was not well, the Rebbe Rashab was not well. The Rebbe Marash was much worse. The Rebbe Marash was so not well, he passed away when he was 47. Young. When he passed away, his kids were young. The Rebbe Rashab was, I think, twenty-one. That's why. That's why, like, like you get a twenty-one-year-old Rebbe, and for eleven years he wasn't officially Rebbe. And I, that's a whole different, interesting the Rebbe, about. Like, last, like, the Rebbe was the so longest. The Rebbe was the longest by far. Yeah, we're lucky. And the Rebbe had a heart attack. I'm saying. Anyways, let me go back over here. Just one beautiful story about the Rebbe Tzemivka. You want to have a, a Hasidim? A Rebbe is not about getting blessings, but. Why not make use of it? We were by the Rebbe day and night. We need a blessing. Baruch Hashem, we can still do that. But the Rebbe was not well. Rebbe Tzernifke was like a Rebbe. People would come to her. They, and it was even better that way. They would ask her what they need. The Rebbe Rashab, for Kibbut Ein, even when he was sick, once a week, Monday, he would go to his mother's house. He would warm up a samavar. He would put a he would put the kettle on the fire, and he would pour her a cup of tea, and he would sit with her. So religiously that even when he was doing treatment in Europe, if the doctors allowed him, he would come back for Monday. Parenthetically, the only rebbe that outdid him was our rebbe. He went to his mother every day, every single day. The rebbe went to visit his mother, six p.m. That's amazing. But the Rebbe Rashab would do kibbutz aim once a week. So the system of the Hasidim was fantastic. They would go to her, and she was available. So she had oh everyone's tzaddis, and then when he gave went to give her tea, what do you think they spoke about? She says this guy needs this, this guy needs that. Everyone got the brachas. Everything went through the Rebbe wow. So the story goes that there was a woman who was a aguna. Aguna means that her husband disappeared for many years. Not a Lubavitch. She went, she went, she went, she went to different tzaddikim. She came to Lubavitch. She came to Lubavitch. She didn't know. The Rebbe is not available, but the Rebbe is even better. She went to Rebbe Tzernifka. You can imagine how she cried. She says, you have to help me. Good. So she, they had tea Monday, whenever the next Monday was. And the Rebbe Rashab told his mother to tell this lady that she should go to Leipzig. She should go to Germany, to a big city, and she'll find her husband there. Oh, yeah. wow. It's like telling someone, go to New York and find your husband. <laughs> Wow. Listen, 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 listen to what happened. This is a story. This story was written by the Friedrich Rebbe, yeah, but she was not from the Chabad world. We're, we're used to these stories. Now listen to what happened. She goes to Leipzig. So first of all, she had no money. So they gave her money. She went to Leipzig. 
She comes to the train station. Listen to this. She sees a Jew with a beard. The Jew with the beard walks over to her and he says, you look lost. She says, I'm lost. I was told by a Lubavitch Rebbe in Lubavitch, and not even by him, by the mother, by his mother, that I should come here to find my husband. He says, no, 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 I know. And he began to listen and he heard, he heard, and I says, I know where your husband is. And he led her to a tavern. And, and he told her to look through the window. And she recognized her husband. And he walks in there. And he tells this guy, you have a wife that you left X amount of time ago. He said, no. And all of the chavedim in the tavern knew this guy. He says, yeah, 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 you did. Yeah, you did. And finally, he got the guy to agree then in Germany to give his wife a get. She gets a get. She goes back to Lubavitch. No, she never met the Rebbe Rashab. She only met Rebbe Tzernifka. So when she got back there, she walked into Rebbe Tzernifka. She had an open door and she says that that's a miracle. I got there and I came here to thank you. So she says, instead of thanking me, he says, in a few minutes, my husband is going to walk here. Thank him. Thank the Rebbe. The Rebbe Rashab walked out. She fainted. That was the Jew in Leipzig. What? Who fainted? The Rebbe or the lady? This lady. That, the Rebbe Rashab was the, that man was the man that, that found her in Leipzig and took her to her husband. So I'll tell you all uh, crazy stories. What? So he the materialized. He materialized. The at the train station? The Rebbe, that's what she said. He that the story was written down by the Friedrich Rebbe. But he was a sick man. He, he was a sick man. He materialized. Somehow he appeared. It was like a malach. He appeared Meaning to her over there. he were able to create himself in another place. How great is that? I believe it. I believe it. So he had to her again. That was what she said. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, come here, because that's an evidence. That was an accident. Yes, it's normal for us. She was 18 years old, Rebbe Tzernifka. Eliyahu Navi did it many times. No, 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 I'll tell you the difference. I'm happy you said that. Eliyahu Navi cannot have two bodies at the same time. Eliyahu Navi can come, bin Shama, to everyone say that. The Rebbe Rashab was in, was wherever he was, and he was there. That's different. More than one. Month. Yeah, that's different. That's all. And it was the same one. It was the Rebbe. It's she saw She level. said, that's the Rebbe. It's a whole different level. Don't compare this. For Hasidim, it's an insult. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> the Rebbe. The Rebbe. The Rebbe. Okay. I thought the Rebbe is the top of the top. Not in Lubavitch. <laughs> never in Lubavitch. The Rebbe. Okay. Wow. You didn't. Okay. If you never heard that, now you heard it, but okay. Thank you. <laughs> And I'm not from the Hasidic guys. I'm already from the modern guys. You have to hear what other people will tell you. Okay. So here we go. The, she was 18 years old, Rebbe Tzernifka, and she got sick. Whatever the illness was, she was a davener. She loved davening. I mean, she davened. These women, I don't know, an hour, two hours, once the kids got older. But she was only 18. She davened long. The doctors told her that the first thing she has to stop is that fasting. She's fasting. You can't, you can't eat before davening. Eat and daven. This is the part that's the high. That's what I'm getting to. That's, that, this Hayyim Yom is written on Yud Shvat because it's her yard site. Now, she used to daven this time, let's say, 7 a.m. Let's say, halachically, you can daven from 6 a.m. So when the doctor told her that you can't eat so late, eat before you daven, her solution was to wake up even earlier. No. She's not going to eat before davening. She'll wake up earlier. Like this, she thought she'll be eating earlier. She got worse. She went back to the doctor. She told the doctor what she's doing. The doctor told her father-in-law what she's doing. Now today, if a doctor tells you, your father-in-law what you're doing, the, fire, the doctor will get sued for sure, as he should be. But there, there was a different world. In other words, 
someone needed to get her to eat before davening, but this is a holy woman that if the Rebbe won't tell her to do it, she'll never do it. So the Tzamech Tzedek called her in. And he told her beautifully. He told her that regarding Judaism, almost verbatim, it says, V'chai bahem, live with it. Now, literally, it means live with it, don't die for it. There are only three mitzvahs that we have to die for, but not Shabbos. If it's life or Shabbos, bimachal, live. But the Tzamech Tzedek told her something much deeper. He says, v'chai bahem also means that we have the responsibility to make Judaism alive. It means when you do a mitzvah, v'chai bahem, bring life in the mitzvah. To do that, he says, you have to be healthy and happy. These are golden words. To you, for you to do something that without your effort, it's not that exciting. Things that are exciting are exciting. Certain things without effort, for people like us, not that exciting. Many mitzvahs without effort, like davening. Davening without effort is boring. You go read Tehillim two hours. It's not exciting. V'chai means that our obligation is not just to keep the commandments. It's to bring life into the commandments. Bring chai. For that, you have to be healthy and happy. Now, he was not saying that she was not happy. I don't know about the, her demeanor, but, but healthy. And he told her, a Jew has to be healthy. And then he concluded with this very powerful phrase, it's a lot better to eat in order to be able to daven than to daven quick, to daven early, in order to be able to eat. Makes sense. That's what he told her. That's, this is the famous phrase. It's better to eat in order to daven versus to daven in order to eat. So that's why that? people eat mezonas. Oh, that now we're getting to Lubavitch over here. This is the whole controversy. <laughs> The Rebbe the Tzamech Tzedek to the Rebbe Tzemnifka when she was 18 and then he gave her a bracha that she's going to have a long life. And she had a long life. She, had, she lived in Turkey, 19, 1831 to 1914. How, how, who knows math over here? I went to yeshiva, I have the best excuse. And you guys went to school. That's a better excuse, Ms. Tama. Okay, noch besser. At least in Gemara we have some mathematical equations. And, uh, and, and, but it's not just health. She was mamish healthy until the end. That's a big bracha. Even today, to live into your 80s. And her father-in-law. Her father-in-law gave at the end. No, but he, was, he, he had the ability. She respected him. She re- so when she told him that it's better to eat in order to daven, and then she would wake up in the morning and she would say brachas. She would eat whatever the doctor told her to eat, and then she would daven, and she would daven long without worrying about, I have to rush through the davening. So because... it wasn't uh, So is the Mazoinus a debate, or is it a... Oh, it's a contra... Not even a debate. No, Mazoinus is uh, halachically very problematic. You can only have Mazoinus if you're ill. The Rebbe, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe wrote a letter considering everyone in our generation ill. <laughs> oh, he did? Yeah. Well, we're not. No, physically, the koyach. I want you to know like this, just to know regarding not eating. You know, it's off topic, but not off topic. Ask any rav in any community if they're older, older than sixty, or even older than fifty. They would tell you that thirty years ago, no one was calling them before a fast day to get out of it. Fast day is a fast day. Fast day is a fast day. I know, I know women in my family, they fasted on Yom Kippur on the day they gave birth. Was it halachically okay? No, they, you fasted, you fasted. 
But also back then, they only fasted Tishrei and Yom Kippur. No, but only that, correct. Nothing you're not allowed to fast. You're not, but but on those days. No, but nothing was like exist. Like I don't remember. No, it doesn't. Halach, you're right. But rifkly, you're right. Halachically, a woman, a woman that's pregnant right. or nursing. But, but he wasn't even considering that. A woman who's pregnant or nursing. Now, women then would have 14 kids or 18 kids or in Kvachaba, 29 kids. So they're either pregnant or nursing. No, it's so very different. So it, it, now, today, it's a new world. A new world is that is that every time there's a fast day. I need a heter not to fast. Now, the older Rabbanim say, what do you mean? You, I need a heter not to keep Shabbos. That, that's, that's what they would like to tell you. They just don't tell it to you because you're not going to listen. Like, it's absurd. One second, one second. And I heard this, I heard this frustration from people that I respect. I met another Rav. I can, him, his name I met Rabbi Ullman. He began to explain to me, Rabbi Ullman from Sydney, Alabavich Rav also, he's also not that young. He's a bit old, he's my age. But he told me that... Uh, Mamish, that mamish, that you have to be matter, every halachic loophole, because it really changed. People, taka, a phenomena that ever already wrote that, that ever said that they don't have to koyach to fast. You know, that ever used to fast a lot. They say that Alta Rebbe used to fast for spiritual reasons, even though the Baal Shem Tev was against it. He used to fast and he was physically strong. So we had the Talmud Bavli, that's like 13, 14 big volumes. If he can pick them up with two fingers, I'm holding the bottom one, I can't even pick up one book. I can barely pick this up. Then he knew he's good. When he fasted and fasted and he couldn't lift it, then he says, ah, I'm hurting my body and now I have to break my fast. People were stronger. Fasting only was uncomfortable. Only. It did not do what it did today. The Rebbe was of the halachic opinion that today, if you're davening seven in the morning, like most balabatim bayos, then don't eat muzainis. But if you're going to wake up and you're going to do the right thing, whatever the right thing is, and it's going to turn out that you're going to be eating 8, 9, 10 o'clock, then in the world of Chabad, people eat. They don't eat a lot. They say the brachas, we say the Shema. We even eat Muzaynas. But the Muzaynas is, is a sore topic by non-Chabad people. They criticize us. Halachically, it's difficult. The only hat it is for health. So they argue, daven earlier. We argue, that's not called davening. If I'm not going to wake up and learn and daven... That's not even called davening. Davening is not about saying words. And therefore, we go, we, and then we go back. It's better to eat in order to daven instead of davening in order to eat. The shivas, they daven and they, in, in the young kids, they daven. I mean, they, they learn, they daven, and then they eat breakfast at 11. Yeah, but in, in Lamavachi shivas, they, they serve you mezoinus and coffee. Before? Yeah, the sh- uh, fruit, yeah, forbid, fruit, you know, a lot of it. Mezoinus with a lot of sugar, that's good. <laughs> They don't know. I mean, that, that we have to Sugar change that. Fat. Sugar and fat. Is coffee okay? So coffee was already, uh, Baruch Hashem, thank God, coffee was already discussed a few hundred years. Coffee is okay. The question is, can you add sugar and milk? And only, even in the non-Chabad world, in the, this generation, they said that you can add sugar, but thank God, you can add sugar and milk. Listen, no one was listening to them anyway. Everyone got up in the morning and they would have a coffee. Uh, fact. Not oatmeal. Uh, not oatmeal. No, oatmeal only in Lubavitch. You have to be Lubavitch. You want to be Lubavitch, whatever that means, then you can have, but then you have to learn before you, then you have to daven. You can't get it both ways. Then you have to daven better. Then you have to daven better. And I want to, I don't know how much time we have left, but this is such a deep statement. So I want to say like this. These are the words and, and the way I understand it. First of all, we spoke already a few times over here, and that's a great theme, that the inner the inner Matan Torah, the coming of Mashiach, has to do with integrating, connecting the heavenly within and the earthly within. So when God gave the Torah, we were always focused out there, right? We want to bring Kedusha into the world, which we did. The last frontier is in. 
Golos is in and the Geula is within. This is an inner thing. People should understand that the redemption is an inner process. The redemption, don't think about something outer. Even though many people have certain outer issues which will secondarily get resolved, that's not what Mashiach is about. Just like when we were in Egypt, our problem was the guard, the Nazi guard. That was a, the Holocaust was Egypt, Mamish. Now the, the Golos is that we are beginning to become more and more aware of how much inner wiring has to be rectified. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and that's, that's, that's what the goal is, just to know. That's the beginning. So it's a goal of Panemius. And the general concept will be that I have a godly and I have an earthly. And by nature, I'm either or. That's the way God made all of us, the disconnect. You're either holy or you're earthly. And you're one or the other. And everyone goes their, through their life, and that's very unhealthy. We spoke about shalom, the word shalom, wholesome. The beginning of shalom is to connect them. I have to connect my heavenly and my earthly, and it's a big chachma to figure out how to do that. They have to begin talking to each other. So when a person is flying in the heavens, they should remember about their earthly part. And that will be a downer, and that's a healthy downer. So they're not going to fly in atzilus because they're not going to forget. It, it's, it's a healthy... Downer, a healthy downer. And when people are, God forbid, are going to get into their animal, if they make a good connection, their heavenly will keep them from falling all the way down into hell. It's going to hold them up. And it's worth it. An integrated person. We're integrating something ruchni and something gashmi. Now think about it. What does food do? What is the function of food? Energy. The function of food is to keep the body and the soul connected. Mamish. Food is that which unites the neshama and the body. Now, even though, you have to go, this is deep, and this is a lot of Chabad Hasidus, even though without food, the soul is so filled of life, it's so filled with life, that it can give life to the body, but that life doesn't merge with the body. I'm telling you words of the Alter Rebbe. These are deep concepts that I can speak about more, but we have a few minutes. What happens when you eat? Food, amazing. Physical food, somehow, magically, allows the neshama and the body to become one, which is what I'm talking about. Something lofty, godly, a neshama and a piece of earth, they become one through food, which is what we call them alive. I never hungered, but when people hunger, they feel their neshama leaving their bodies. And they die. They die from hunger. They die from thirst. So food and drink allows the soul and the body to merge together, which is... What if you don't have intentions? Oh, oh, oh. No, no, even without intentions, but let's become more intentional. It's good to understand what we're doing now. The fact that the food also has tam, api, kabbalah, this is very deep because the taste of the food and the smell of the food and the appearance of the food, they are all connected to different parts of the soul. So when it looks attractive, that's a good thing. That is going to draw a deeper part of your neshama into your body. And that's how the COVID, how it wounded people. No, it's not just a Hasidic person will say, so I lost my smell and taste. My father rejoiced when he lost his teeth. He was young and in Brazil they had those inserts that was the gum. He put this into his mouth and he tells me with a lot of pride, Ramir, I lost my time and food. He was happy. That's good, good for him. But our real Pneumius were supposed to be toying the food. Sadiqim tasted the food. Not because they were coarse, the opposite. Because they're, every part of what the experience of eating does is about connecting the neshama and the body. Merging it. 
Now, let's understand the halacha, and then let's understand the story. What does halacha say? First daven, and then eat. First daven, and then eat. Why? Because when you're making this merger, now understand what's happening. You're taking two opposite things and you're bringing them together. What do you think is going to happen? So I said a general picture that each one will contain the other. Each one will limit the other. This one by itself would go all the way to the heavens. This one by itself will go all the way down to who knows what. When they're merged together, because they're like a relationship, so they have to make deals, they're negotiating. We're not going to go where you want, I'm not going to go where I want. You find a common ground. The common ground is where they're going to merge together. Now, do we want them to be a 50-50 partnership? What are, what are we looking for? It's not a husband and wife. You're talking about the soul and the, the body. The soul and the body. They're not meant to be 50-50. It's not like a couple. The neshama and the goof, the goof is very important, but it always has to acknowledge the superiority of the neshama. Merkava to the neshama. It has to be that way. No, it has to be, the word in English is subservient. It has to accept that I'm important. I should not be neglected. I have to be attended to. But in the bigger scheme of things, ultimately, that it's about God. It's not about the world. Yeah, it's about the world working with God and God working. It, it, God is, it's, it's a hierarchy. So that's the pshat we said about what is davening. Davening is about God. Torah is about me. Torah is about me knowing what I need to do. Torah is centered around me. Tefillah is about, I know not what I'm asking for. It's about God. I want to get closer to God. I'm putting God on top of me. Uh, I'm acknowledging that I'm far away from God. I have to go to God. Not God should come to me. First, let me go to God. It's making God better than me, greater than me. Less self, less self. Less self. So if you want to make a merger, it's a lot better for you to begin the merger by, you know, when two parties are getting together, each one should give their credentials. Like, who is merging? It's like when you do a shidduch. Before they date, like, who's who? So before you make a merger, which is eating, at least acknowledge that God is God. And God is great. And we're not that great. We're not bad, but we're not like God. We're not God-like. We're man-like. That's why we eat. That's why we daven first. No, it's before you make a merger... You have to know who, the, who are we merging with, the heavenly and the earthly. The heavenly is godly. We have to first appreciate more how godly is the dominant. Not dominant to the exclusion of, no, that's not called a merger. That's called suppression. But in this relationship, God is the boss. God is the king. God is the king, not my equal. Now, hold on. Now comes along the Tzamach Tzedek. And now, de facto, by all Jewish people, all religious people, Mizoinus, Chabad, I acknowledge, but amongst all Jewish people, when I grew up, water, nothing, no garnished. You can be starving, they don't care. No mercy, water, if you're lucky, from the tap. And now, in the Frumal world, because of the halacha, people are already saying you can have epis, something, wherever you're at. This concept became accepted, which is, now think about this. You're speaking about being intentional. Of course, when you daven, you're, you're celebrating God before you're celebrating yourself. But let's go from another angle. Who's the most important one? The one that comes first? Or the one that everyone is building up to? Who's more important? When you want to honor people... Who are you going to honor? And, and there's someone that you determined is the one who should get the, the most honor. Is that someone who should be honored first? So that, that's, that's the halacha. And that Samach Tzaddik is saying, no. That it's like, 
the one that you honor, the keynote speaker is not the first speaker. Absolutely, just say The keynote speaker, even when you have a meal, if you're having a real, real hush of a meal, first you're going to have some entourage. Not because the entourage is the Iker, Adarab. Like, you're building up. It's a warm-up act. So if I'm davening, and in my mind, because I'm weak, I need to eat, so let me daven even earlier to get davening out of the way on some level in order to eat, I defeated the whole purpose. Mm -hmm. So what did I put it first? In other words, Bipnimius in the inner world, who comes first is not that important. If you were not honored first in the inner world, okay, you were not honored first. You have to know the intent. Now, if you were honored last because you were the least significant, then you should be insulted. But if you were honored last because, no, they wanted to get all of the bad speakers out of the way because you know how to give a good speech and the other ones are going to bore people to death. So in the beginning, people still have some focus. So let the idiot speak first. And then, 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 then it's nice that they gave you the honor, the last. The keynote speaker normally speaks at the end, not in the beginning. In a meal, you serve the hush of the food at the end. Not because you're full already and you want it to be cheap so people are going to eat. That's other people do that. No, because you're building up towards something. You're building up to Achran Achran Chaviv. Achran Chaviv is a little bit deeper. It's about intent. Begashmi is the first, the first. Stop with the first. So that's what the Tzemach said. The, the most important thing is God. We know that. Okay, but eat in order to daven. And don't daven in order to eat. Bottom line is, just come closing this up, is that, is that, is that eating is something extremely holy because it connects heaven and earth. Every time we have a, a, a siyum, what do we do? We serve a meal. Isn't it funny? You finished learning Torah, you should celebrate by Torah. We eat. Shabbos, we eat. Yom Tev, we eat. Eating is a big part of Yiddishkeit. Why? The Ruchni is the part of learning Torah should be celebrated by eating. A bris meal or something so spiritual celebrated by eating. It almost looks cruel. A wedding by eating? <laughs> no, but it's obvious. Even in the morning. Everything eating. Why? Because, because eating is, is like the ultimate goal of it. Eating is the merging of, of, of Ruchni and Gashmi. But you should remember that when you make a merger, when you want to merge with someone, know who they are first. And if there's someone or someone greater than you, then you should merge Bo'ifin, that they, that in your mind, we're speaking about God, that God is my boss. Not God is my boss and I'm just an Evid. No, I want to merge. I want to connect and I want to feel. I want to have a relationship. But it's not equals. I'm not equal to God. God is not equal to me. And I do that by giving God more importance. How do I do that? By the letter of the law, by davening first. By the spirit of the law, getting out of the way all of my needs. So I'm not worried about my needs. So I can be free to do that which is important. And in that context, ask us to hate. Eat. Do what you need to do. It has to be all kosher halachically. And then daf. Good.